0: word tonight. Heavenly Father, we do ask that for Jesus' sake your word may be a blessing to us, that we would receive it uh, as we ought, that it might be ministered to us in a godly way, that we might consider again the the worthiness of Jesus Christ, whose sandals we are not fit to untie, as it were, but who has done such worthy things for us so that we might in turn, no fellowship with you, so that in all things we might seek to serve you, and to glorify you, even as we're reminded of again tonight, to glorify you in our bodies. We pray that you'd accept our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm going to take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tonight. And uh, we're going to read verses 12 through 20. In our applicatory prayer tonight, I'm also going to take a moment to uh, pray for the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, keep that in mind, keep the unborn in mind. This passage by God's providence comes up to us as we consider those rulings long ago and as it were, 50 years ago, but the devastations that have come from people following man's law rather rather than God's law. Uh, that comes to us that the tension comes to us again when we look at passages such as this one. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. <clears throat> Whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, So glorify God in your bought. That's as far as we read from the word of the Lord tonight. It may be a blessing to us as we have it ministered tonight. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's tempting to believe that what we know has nothing to do with what we did. We we want to hear about things that are practical and not theoretical. And yet what we understand in Christian teaching in passages like this, or chapters like this, is what we know does have an effect on what we do. What we understand in Christian teaching has its effect on our behavior. This chapter is definitely one of those places where we can turn and we can see that what we know has an influence on what we do. Four times in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul asks the question, do you not know? And it deals with questions of behavior about what we do. People were living as if they didn't know anything. What you know is to influence your acts. And so tonight, our sermon is about and I should have put it as the passage did instead of changing the preposition, but it's about glorifying God God in our body. And three times in our passage, the Apostle Paul says to us, do you not know? When he's dealing with the question of why it is that we're supposed to glorify God in our body, which is the bottom line of this passage. So, Glorify God in your body. To glorify God with our body, we need to see that we need to do that with a proper sense of freedom and also a proper sense of understanding. Again, we talk about three times in our passage where we hear the calling, Do you not know? There also appears to be three slogans which some in Corinth were using to dictate their lifestyle. There were were mottos of sorts. And the first one that we see is quite clear to us. That first of of the slogans is put in quotations at the very beginning of our passage. All things are lawful for me. Some translated, all things permissible for me. But we get the point. We remember that uh, our parents have often taught us not to use the word all or never all the time. But we have to be careful how we use those all-inclusive words. We have that sometimes in our relationships with people, too, right? Because we want to win an argument, we want we we try to exaggerate. We use words like, "Well, you never do this, and you always do that." Well, it's hard to be like that. Certainly, that's true about the Corinthians. All things are permissible for me. All things are law are lawful for me. Sometimes our boys and girls might think that it would be great to be able to just do whatever you want to do and have your mom not tell you anything or your dad. I want to go to bed at 3 a.m. all week. And after a while, if you start doing that, you'll start finding out that going to bed every night at 3 o'clock in the morning is not a good idea. And that's why you'll find out why your folks put you to bed at a certain time that they think is best, because they're looking out for you. Well, these people were trying to look at life in Corinth like a child who wanted to go to bed at three o'clock in the morning all the time. Since Jesus freed me from the guilt of sin, I am free to do as I please now. Everything, everything is permissible for me. Now, that would have been something that some people would have liked to push in the area in which the Corinthians were living anyway. Uh, Evidently, there were these uh, people that, in the culture, that when you turned 18, there would be these celebrations that would occur. There would be these ceremonies that would occur. And they would declare that these people were now free to do whatever they wanted. 18 became the door to liberty. The restrictions of youth were now taken away. And of course we have some of that in our society, don't we, when we hear that magic number 18, sometimes it's 21, but there's certain numbers that reflect that in our own culture and society. Some of that influence in the Corinthian area or that kind of libertine spirit would certainly not have been unusual though, not at all. And it could be that there were those who thought of themselves as completely free from the commands of the law that way. And and it might have been because dietary laws were no longer deemed as necessary, but the baby got thrown out with the bathwater because people were figuring that now that they were in the church or now that they have known the Lord, they could do whatever they wanted to do morally with no consequences. But Paul reminds the people that there are definitely qualifications. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. There's different ways that Paul could have addressed this issue, but here in our passage there are two ways particularly that he saw necessary. One was that not everything is helpful. Not everything is beneficial. Not everything's profitable to do. Even if there were things that were not in and of themselves wrong to do. You know, I could be reading a book at the lake, but if I saw somebody drowning and I continued to just read the book without trying to be helpful, Well, that's not a proper use of my liberty, of my freedom. If what I'm doing isn't going to be of benefit, uh, be to the benefit of myself or to others around me, then I better not do it. What I do is going to have an impact on other people. And if that impact is not going to be helpful to them, then I better not do it. It's not just me and what I want. I have the freedom to to saw wood. But I better not do that in front of my neighbor's window at 3 o'clock in the morning. I am not to use my Christian freedom to annoy, to hurt, or take advantage of others. I need to be using that freedom to their benefit. Not simply because I can do it and because... I want to do well. The second of these ways in which he addresses it is that it has to do with mastery, right? Because I will not be enslaved by anything. That's a fascination, really, considering what people were saying that I uh, everything's everything's permissible to me. That sounds pretty liberating. But interestingly, ironically, paradoxically, really, I guess you could say, my freedom better not cause me to be mastered by anything in the process, because that's self-defeating. Many things in and of of themselves are not wrong activities, but if you cannot live without them, if you become addicted to them, then you have allowed your freedom in Christ to be overcome by a different master. And you defeat the purpose of your freedom. It may be something that you can consume, it could be a hobby, it may, it, it could be your work, it could be anything good or bad in itself. It, it could be, uh, but just because you're permitted you know, to enjoy these things or to do these things doesn't give us the right to be mastered by those things. But again, it, we have this liberty, but we have to be careful that the liberty doesn't, turn invited, because if we let that happen, then our body is not glorifying God, because that's the bottom line here. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Well, the next slogan that we see here really gets us into the second point, because the first point is, you know, glorify God in your body with proper freedom, proper sense of what freedom is. But the second one has to do with a proper sense of understanding. And this next slogan gets us into that, and that is that we are to glorify God in the body with a proper understanding of things. And this is, this is also where the do-you-not-know teachings resume. They come back into play. The next slogan that people used is one that I believe could actually be extended further than our translation does. Uh, it, it's here in our passage, food is meant, in verse 13, food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And that's where they cut off the quote. But you could extend that. You could extend that. And in the original language, they wouldn't have quotes. They're, they're, they don't have quotation marks. So there's liberty as to where you put those quotation marks. But but hear it this way. It could be extended further than our translation, the stomach for food and food for the body. The stomach for food and food in the body, but God will destroy them both. See the difference there. See the difference between saying food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and and God will destroy both one and the other. As if Paul's picking up his instruction. But if the if it's a slogan, you might say then food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. So usually people stop with the term the food for the body and body for food, but if it's extended, it would seem to make more sense in the context. If you extend the slogan to include the idea that God will destroy them both, then the attitude that people were using would be, look, physical appetites are for a short time, and then God destroys them. And since it's a, destroy, a temporary time, then whatever I do with my physical appetites, no matter what they are, dietary or sexual, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because because God's going to destroy the body and the appetites anyway, in the end. So who cares what you do in your body? So do what you want physically. It's all permissible. It gets us back, that slogan gets us back to that sense of unbridled freedom. Now, in contrast to that mentality, in contrast to that slogan, Paul gives three arguments against sexual immorality in our passage. And he could give others, but these are the ones that fit the context and the slogan. The first one is that the body is intended for the Lord's purposes and not my own. All right? He says the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Why should you not be immoral? Why should you use your body well in all things? Because whether it's food or sex or anything else, the purpose of the body is not a mere matter of anatomy and physiology. The ultimate, the ultimate purpose for the body is not to trash it. It's for the Lord's glory. Since the body has a superior purpose to the godless slogan that says, well, it's going to be destroyed anyway, it demands, then, a superior morality. That's one way that Paul hits this. The next way that he hits this is he says that while it's true that God will bring an end to this mortal body, it's not the end of the body. Because you're saying that God's going to destroy them both, and so who cares how you live? And that's not what Paul says. He says, and God raised the Lord, and will also raise us by his power. See, he's going to speak more of this, of course, isn't he? In where? He's going to go to 1 Corinthians 15 and talk more about that. And part of the reason for talking about that is hear it because people are thinking that it doesn't matter what they do in their body, because it's going to be trashed anyway. No, it's going to be resurrected someday. So if you want to make the argument that I can do what I want with my body, since it's going to die in the end anyway, then you're just not seeing the full picture. I'm to honor the Lord with my body, and what I do with my body is important, Because this very same body is going to be raised someday. You cannot make the argument that sexual immorality doesn't matter because the body is going to be discarded for good one day because it won't be discarded for good one day. If it won't, then your immoral argument and your immoral slogan is wrong. What you do with your body is important because your body is important enough to God that he's going to raise it one day just like he raised Christ's body. And then the third argument that he uses against sexual immorality has to do with fidelity. Notice what it says as we carry on. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. So the third argument he's using is about fidelity. Now, it's not, first of all, fidelity with your mate. Because Paul speaks of sexual immorality here, not just adultery. The third argument is about fidelity and exclusivity with Christ. Devotion to Christ. Fidelity to Christ. Your body, says Paul, is connected in a mystical, but yet a real way to Jesus. Your body is a member of Christ. Like a body part is a member of a head. Physically, you are united to Christ. You are his arms and legs, so to speak. You are being used as his instruments of righteousness. That's remarkable. But he says if you're involving yourself immorally, then, says Paul, we've got the problem that was similar to what Jesus says when he says that we can't serve two masters, or when Elijah said, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But you can't be devoted to both. Paul is saying here, you're either united to Christ for his holy purposes, or you're united to fornication for immoral purposes. The two become one flesh, but you can't have the three becoming one flesh. That's impossible. You can't say then, everything is permissible for me. You can't. I can be sexually immoral, with no guilt, and even with pride and freedom, or I'm united to Christ in faith. I can't be both. We're one or the other, but we can't be both. And here's one of the reasons why Christians are pro-family. One man with one woman called to fidelity. There are more reasons that are mentioned here, but, but certainly these reasons are some of the reasons. Our bodies are for God's purposes, not for ours. Our bodies are going to be raised someday. Not simply thrown in the Trash, so we can live trashy lives, and therefore making our morality irrelevant in our bodies. Thirdly, are united to Christ for holy purposes. We can't have Christ and our immoral cake, too. Morality does matter to the Christian. If it doesn't matter to the world, that we can understand if they don't believe in the resurrection if they don't believe their body is for the Lord's purposes, and if they're united to the ways of the world that are self-destructive. But Christians, Paul is saying, need to know better so they can live better. The other slogan that seems to be Corinthian here is the one that comes later on in verse 18. Paul calls us to flee immorality like we're running away from the plague or a wild animal, or a powerful enemy. What wisdom for us. Don't see how close you can get to the flame, lest you fall into it. If something is causing you to get burned, then get away from it. But the Corinthians seem to say, all sins... Are done outside of the body. Now, the, the, the translation we have before us uh, says has a footmark. If you notice, in the few Bibles anyway, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, uh, a way, another way that this can be translated uh, is, as you see at the bottom, it says invert the. Uh, five foot, no, uh, every sin, every sin a person commits is outside the body. And that sounds more like a Corinthian slogan. You know, we read that and we try to theorize what it means for how all other sins are done outside of the body and we get stuck. You know, because we think, well, drunkenness is done in the body and addictions of many sorts are done in the body and... And thoughts of evil are done in the mind, which is in the body. You know, we can hurt people with our physical frame and with our tongue. So so then we have trouble with that idea. But if we see this as another Corinthian slogan, then things clear up. If we hear the Corinthians saying, well, all sins are done outside of the body. That's why I can do what I want with my body. That's why everything's permissible to me. That way. See, then we can see how consistent it is with their other slogans. You can't sin physically, because the physical is irrelevant. All things are permissible for me physically. Oh, I might sin spiritually or mentally or philosophically or religiously, but, but those are higher, and those are those are more important, more virtuous, more relevant actions of uh, You do those things outside of your body. The possible point, remember the bottom line is for him. His bottom line here is to show us how the body is important. You are to glorify God in your body and when you perform sexual immorality, you're sinning against your body. You're committing sacrilege. Because here again, you get a don't you know. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Sin's only spiritual. It's physical. Because when you sin physically, you're sinning against the place where God is dwelling. Temples are where the divine dwells. And the divine dwells in your body. So, so don't say that sin's only out there spiritually or religiously or academically or theoretically. You can sin physically. and You need to watch what you do with your body. No matter whether it's sexual or otherwise. And now, I mean, after all, I mean, that's, that's a lot why even before we got there that uh, the Apostle had said, or oh, don't you not? That the unrighteous will not inherit, inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, adulterers, those who practice homosexuality and the rest. A lot of that's physical, isn't it? Don't act like you can do what you want with your body. You were bought at a price. You know, that, that whole idea, you know, you hear that in our culture, don't you? You're thinking about... The way in which people argue about their justification to abort their children. I can do whatever you, I want with my body. Leave my body alone. I can do whatever I want with it. Is that ever a destructive attitude if you think about it? And it's no wonder then that it's applied to the justification of aborting children. Tens of millions of them. Every year. Globally. Never mind, I mean, leave it alone at the fact that it's not even their body that they're destroying. They're destroying the child's body. But imagine if we all did what we wanted with our body. Cut off my feet, deliberately stand in front of a train, stick our hands in a meat grinder on purpose. Now, I know that's ridiculous. But cases, those cases would still fit the philosophy that we can do whatever we want, with our bodies, And it's destructive. Our bodies are valuable. Especially when we understand that we were bought with a price. When we were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Not with silver or gold, but with the blood of Christ. That's how valuable they are. And since he bought them, it does not belong to you to do as you see fit. Because that's the world's attitude. Who glory in self-indulgence to their destruction. That's their their model. They act like it's self-preserving. But it's actually self-destructing and destroying of others. And that cannot be the attitude of somebody who knows that their body is bought and paid for by the blood of Christ, not for destructive purposes, but for holy and productive purposes every day that we get up with our body. So what we know does make a difference in what we do. It does. If we forget whose we are, it's going to affect how we act. And if we don't think it matters what we do physically, then we haven't understood things spiritually. And if we think that the only thing worth anything about us is our soul, then we haven't understood fully what Jesus came to say. Our only comfort is that we belong soul and body to our faithful Savior Jesus Christ. Life is worth living and rightly body and soul for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. When we know that it is our soul and our body that have been bought and belong to the one who paid the ultimate price for them, we find ourselves then glorifying God in our bodies. Bodies that belong to our Savior, not to us. We're not our own. Because we want to glorify God in our bodies because that's what, that's what the, the gospel of Jesus Christ does to a person who understands, who knows their bodies are a temple of the Spirit of Christ who paid the price for them long ago, once for all. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer. Father, we do live in a world that often has that self-destructing kind of motto: "I can do whatever I want with my body," and and it's deceiving in so many ways, and certainly destructive. We've seen that, Lord, over the course of time, tens of millions of those aborted. Even in this country, Lord, uh, we hear, we can see the stats: 1.3, 1.4 million abortions that occur every year. In the past years, and that we want to pray for the unborn tonight. We want to remember, Lord, that laws can change, and and it, and we're glad, Father, huh? we're thankful for June 24th when Roe versus Wade was overturned. But that doesn't mean that parts of overturned change necessarily. We pray that more and more hearts would. That the gospel may be a joyful sound to people so that they might turn away from their self indulgent self-defeating, self-destructing, and destructive way and turn more to a productive, holy experience where we recognize that we're not our own and our bodies are not our own. They were bought with a price. To be able to confess that Christ has bought us, we sang earlier, Roger picked some songs, a really good song to pick, about where our comfort lies, and that is that we belong to Christ, and that in our bodies as well as in our souls we have called to this devotion. Help that to show forth every day all the more, Lord, that we show that we know how things are spiritually so that we would act accordingly physically living for holy and productive purposes before you every day for the sake of Jesus. And as we remember, our bodies being temples of your Spirit. We accept our prayers, Father, we pray in Jesus' name.